Good morning, Cottondale Baptist Church. It's a privilege to worship with you again this uh, Mother's Day, and certainly a rather unusual one for us, uh, certainly in our lifetimes, but um, here we are, and uh, I want to present a a message particularly uh, directed to mothers or women in general, but it's going to have application uh, for us all as we're going to look at Mary's song of praise in Luke chapter 1 uh, called the Magnificat. But I'm looking forward to sharing uh, that with you. Uh, I do just want to say please continue to pray for uh, me and the deacons as we try to wade through some of these decisions about uh, how and when uh, to regather. We want to be wise, and we also want to be uh, faithful and faith-filled in what we do. So we appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, Before we we gather together again in person inside, I can tell you as of right now, we are planning to do some drive-in services uh, kind of leading up to a gathering together inside the building. And so right now, we're tentatively looking at May 17th, and so may, just keep an eye out on our social media page for information about that, but uh, it's likely that uh, May 17th we'll have our first drive-in service, and so you can come, and um, we're going to try to have some people there available to direct you how to park, keeping your cars six feet apart, and we'll have the speakers outside, and Lord willing, with we- weather permitting, we'll be able to Wave at each other from wave at each other uh, from our vehicles, and at least have some sense of of gatheredness uh, as God's uh, people, as and as the people of Cottondale Baptist Church. So just keep an eye out for that. I'm looking forward to that, and looking forward to to, you know, to seeing some of you, even if it's just through the your car window. And so, um, and so, uh, looking forward to that, and appreciate your prayers as we continue to kind of way through this issue. Uh, But now let's turn to uh, our sermon this morning, and this sermon is entitled Principles from Mary's Praise. Principles from Mary's Praise. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And Mary, of course, is probably the most famous mother uh, in the world, right? (laughs) All, All over the world, wherever the gospel has gone out. People know the name Mary. She was given this incredible and astounding privilege, chosen by God to be the earthly mother of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said before, we're going to be looking at what's called the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song of praise. She is visited by the angel, and then she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who also is having a miraculous birth in her old age. And as she arrives, uh, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb (laughs) leaps for joy in the presence of his Savior, uh, who is in Mary's womb. And and when that happens, she she bursts out um, in this song, in this song of praise that I think we can uh, learn a lot uh, uh, from, not just mothers, but all 
of God's people. And so, uh, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to see three things from our passage this morning. Number one is that through godly women, the Lord wields the humble. Through godly women, the Lord wields the humble. Number two, through godly women, the Lord exalts the lowly. Through godly women, the Lord exalts the lowly. And number three, through godly women, God, the Lord fulfills his promise. Through godly women, the Lord fulfills his promise. First, we see here that through godly women, the Lord wields the humble. The Lord wields the humble. Mary says there in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So we see that Mary begins her song of praise by exulting in the Lord. We can imagine that uh, from the time of the, uh, the appearance of the angel to her to the time of her traveling uh, to where Elizabeth is and staying with her, that, that she, has, she has spent some time reflecting and mulling over this astounding thing that, that God has appointed her to. And... Um, That is that the God of the universe, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would choose her to fulfill his promise. Earlier in the chapter, Gabriel visits her uh, with that astounding word that she as a virgin is the one chosen by God to, to be the earthly mother of God the Son, uh, to, to, to bear Jesus Christ as her child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And though Mary is likely a, a teenager at this point, she is full of great faith and submission to the sovereign will of God for her. In, verse, in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 38, when the angel says this to her, Mary's response is this. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So we learn here from Mary's heart, her submission, her sweet obedience and desire to be used by God in whatever way 
that he sees fit. And so she soon afterward uh, visited Elizabeth, and as she has been mulling over and reflecting on what has ha- has happened, and as the as uh, as John the Baptist uh, leaps <laughs> uh, leaps in the womb, Mary's Mary erupts in praise at what is happening to her and in her and through her. She begins, um, her heart overflows with adoration and amazement at the glory and the power and the majesty and the faithfulness of God. So that first part of her song there uh, highlights the greatness and mercy of God for choosing and using and appointing her for this task. First, what she says there is she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. She dwells on what God is doing in her and through her and for her and what she wants to do. What, her, what, she, says, what she says that her heart is crying out for is, is to magnify the Lord. She wants to magnify her God. Has your soul so ever been so overwhelmed by an awareness of the greatness of what God has done? in and through Jesus Christ and applied it to your life by faith in him and the, the, the great work that he has done in saving you and the, the great power that he has exerted in your life by bringing you thus far in your life and in your faith. And when you think about it and you reflect on it, has your soldiers ever wanted to shout in praise and adoration, magnify the God who has worked in you and through you? That's what Mary is feeling right now. And so, women of God, church of God, we can learn from Mary. Let our souls magnify the Lord. She goes on to say, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We can learn again from Mary, from this teenage girl, to rejoice. To rejoice in God our Savior. That word there, rejoice, can can mean uh, Rejoice exceedingly. It's an intensive word. Rejoice exceedingly or be exceedingly glad. You see, words really are too weak to describe what Mary is feeling. That she's never felt such deep and full joy in her life since she has seen God act, since he is bringing his salvation to come and he's doing it through her. And so what does her heart does? She rejoices. She rejoices. And so rejoice, O women of God. Rejoice, saints. As, as a, a mother, a physical or spiritual mother, which all women are called to be, we can, you can rejoice. For as we proclaim the gospel and exalt Christ and magnify the Lord in our lives and in our families and to our children or, or among our, our, our family members, or our, our co-workers, or our neighbors, or, whatever, or whoever God has placed under our influence, wherever we magnify the Lord, wherever we exalt His name, we too, like Mary, are participating in God's saving work. And, and, what, we, and what we learn from Mary is that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in that. God is at work. God is on the move in us and through us. Mary bore God's salvation into the world in her womb. 
but we get to bear God's salvation into the world in our hearts and on our lips and with our hands as we go and we proclaim Christ and we fulfill God's will for us by making him known in the world and loving others and serving others and making his uh, and preaching the gospel. We bear Christ with our lives. And so just as Mary was bringing God's salvation to the world, we, we are bearers in, in, a, in a very real sense of salvation to our ones and again our families, our children, our co-workers as we proclaim Christ to them. Just as our salvation, our Christ, was conceived in Mary, a supernatural conception can happen to others too. Because the Bible describes the gospel, the word of God, as like seed. That when it is sown, it, it, does, it does what? It, it, it's, it's, it's God's word, the implanted word, which does what? Gives rebirth. Creates create supernatural conception and rebirth in the lives of other people. Where, that wherever the gospel is preached and believed on there, a new creation is being made. New birth and eternal life to all who will receive it. And so like Mary, we can rejoice in God, our Savior. In verse 48, she says, For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She rejoices exceedingly because, verse 48, God's kindness has shown upon her in the midst of her humble estate. Her humble estate. This is a major theme and principle in in Mary's song and really throughout all of the Gospel of Luke and really throughout the whole Bible. That, That as we're saying here, through godly women, God wields the humble. It is the glory and the wisdom of God to use those of humble estate, those who are not great in the eyes of the world, to fulfill his great purposes in the world. You know, I can't help but think that Mary wasn't really too different from the rest of us. She was a young girl. She was engaged to be married. She was a prospective wife. And my guess is that like most women in her culture and time, And like many women in our day, not all of them, but many, that probably all she wanted to do was honor God with a simple life and, you know, love her husband, raise her children in the fear of God, live righteously. You know, at this point, up to this point in her life, she was probably just a normal Jewish teenage girl. Her life was probably pretty mundane. But that's the point, isn't it? You know, perhaps your life at this point feels rather mundane. Maybe in the midst of this uh, virus, you know, maybe life just feels rather mundane, you know? Just sit around and eat all day. That's, that's about what I do. I mean, I, mean, I mean, there's just not much to do. And maybe her life is, was mundane. Maybe your life feels mundane. And maybe if you're... A young mother, for example, maybe your life feels mundane. Maybe you mop the floor, change your diaper, 
cook a meal, clean a mess, break up a fight. That's what we're doing nowadays. And then you, you go to sleep, wake up, and repeat. And we might think, it'd be tempting to think, well, what good is there in all of this? What, is the, what does this day after day do the same thing, go to sleep, wake up, repeat? What does that have to do with anything in God's plan? And just like Mary, we have a humble young girl, perhaps with zero aspirations of changing the world. But God used her. In fact, it was precisely, God used her precisely as a mother to bring his salvation into the world. I want you to think about that. You know, did Jesus make messes? Well, I, I, we know he never sinned, but I don't think it's a sin for a baby to make a mess. So I think, yes, Jesus probably did make messes. And Mary probably cleaned them up. Right? And she fed him and she did every other thing that, that motherhood has, the, the, the mundane aspects of motherhood just to keep Jesus alive. And yet... The result is that precisely because she was, in merely human terms, nothing more than a good mom, guess what? All generations call her blessed. All generations call her blessed for what? For being a good mom to God's son. That is the glory and the wisdom of God, that in service to the Lord, even the mundane turns out not to be mundane at all. It is the glory of God who is looking at us in our humble estate, who is wielding the humble in heart, the faithful, those who are seeking no glory of their own, but just simply wanting to honor God with their lives. But God then takes our humble, mundane, eat and eating and drinking and changing diapers to the glory of God. He takes those things and he turns it into something of unutterable glory. Every time Mary cooked Jesus a meal and wiped his bottom and cleaned a snotty, a snotty nose, she was participating in and fulfilling God's plan for the salvation of the world. And the reality is, is that so am I, and so are you. And so is every woman and man of God who seeks to honor God in the mundane. God sees it. He is using it. He is wielding it for his glory. That is his delight, his wisdom, and his glory. So number one, we see that through godly women, God wields the humble. Number two, we see that through godly women, God exalts the lowly. The godly women, God exalts the lowly, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So Mary's praise here now moves from joy in God's specific work in and through and for her to God's general practice of exalting the lowly and humbling the proud. Mary sees that 
through her, that's exactly what God is doing. Since God has chosen someone as humble as her to bring his great salvific purposes into the world, it is just another instance of God's general practice of exalting the humble and casting down the proud. One of the key phrases here is it says that his mercy is for those who fear him. What ultimately sets the humble apart from the proud is the fear of God. Fear of God just simply means reverence and respect and deference and trust in God as God, rendering to him what is due as the almighty creator of the universe. It is love and fear and respect and honor and trust unto God. Fear of God is nothing more than this. It's simply acknowledging that God reigns. And I don't. And that's a good thing. And because God reigns, I trust him. And I respect him. And I honor him. And I desire him to give him what he is due. The opposite of fear of God, then, by definition, is pride. In fact, it's the, it's the, it's the height of pride. Because it means that you do whatever you want to, whatever you want to do without consideration for God. It is to presume that you and your will are the ultimate things in the universe as opposed to God's. And Mary here exalts in God because, particularly because of his mercy towards the humble, towards the humble. For those who don't assert themselves or demand their own will, but are humble in heart. You see, such people who are humble in heart like this they're the ones who are, tend to be trampled upon, right, by the arrogant of the world. Those who are trampled upon by uh, the, those who don't fear God. But it is God's glory to fight for the humble and the lowly of heart, to lift up the head, to exalt the lowly, and to send, as, as Mary put it this way, the rich away hungry. God scatters the proud in the end. Those who thought they were so wise will be shown to have been truly fools. Those who thought their wealth or their power could save them or made, them, made their lives meaningful or significant in the world will, will be shown to have had a false hope all along. In the end, it will be shown that those who exercise power for their own glory shall be ruled by the very ones they thought were disposable. And those who glutted themselves on this world will be sent away empty-handed into the next. Interestingly, this same theme is a major aspect of Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God. In fact, what Mary sings about here prefigures what uh, Jesus taught about concerning the kingdom of God. She, she, uh, she, she, she knows that. She, she's singing about it. She's filled with the Spirit, and she bursts out in song, and she might not even realize it, but she's singing about what her son would be born to bring in, the very kingdom of God, as Jesus taught it. That is, the kingdom comes in turning the world upside down because in Jesus Christ, the way up is down. In Jesus Christ, to get high, we must go low. 
To keep, we must give away. To be truly satisfied forever, we must deny ourselves today. We seek not our own glory, but count ourselves nothing. And we let God be the lifter of our heads. We willingly, as Jesus taught, we willingly, freely take the lowest seat at the table. And then God is the one who calls down saying, friend, come up, sit by me. Having a having king or president or prime minister on your resume means nothing in the kingdom of God. Were we humble? Did we love? Did we fear God and seek his righteousness? Mighty, it is mighty men who sit on thrones on the earth. But it will be people like Mary. Humble servants faithfully fulfilling the father's business that he entrusted to them. Yes, even wiping snotty nose for Jesus, it is people like Mary who will sit on thrones in heaven. And so we see that through godly women, God wields the humble. Through godly women, God exalts the lowly. And number three, through godly women, God fulfills his promises. Through godly women, God fulfills his promises. Verse 54 He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. As Mary's song of exaltation draws to a close, she reflects finally on one of the most important aspects of God's great work in Christ. And that is the fulfillment of his promises to Israel. We can't read the New Testament in a vacuum. As Mary is singing the Spirit-inspired song of praise, reflecting on what God has done and is doing through her, through bearing the Son of God in her own womb, she sees it and she sings about it as what? As what it is, the fulfillment of God's promise to His people. The great thing that the Mighty One has done that she's praising about was no accident. The humbling of the proud of this world is no accident. Just as Israel groaned under, for a season under slavery in Egypt, and yet God at the right time heard their groaning and raised up a deliverer who would judge and confound the arrogant Israel. So God has remembered all of his promises in Scripture. And he has heard his people groaning under the weight of their sin. Israel was the vehicle of bringing about God's salvation. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And as Israel groaned under slavery in Egypt, we groan under slavery in our sin. But God, at the right time, hears, heard our groaning and raised up a deliverer. A hero. A hero who's not like the world thinks about Heroes, a king, a king who did the opposite of what most kings do, a king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A shepherd who doesn't sacrifice his sheep, but lays down his own life to save his sheep. And through, and through, through Jesus, and yes, by extension, through Mary, 
God has fulfilled his promise. The longing of the whole Bible, the longing of the whole Old Testament, the promise to Abraham and to his offspring. We can look at uh, one form of this promise in Genesis chapter 12, God's promise to Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is that? It's the blessing, it's the promise of God that through what? Through Abraham he would what? Bless the world. And remember that Genesis 12 comes at uh, the end of, after Genesis 11, which if you remember is a genealogy. And as we talked about before, genealogies, especially uh, most of the genealogies in the Bible, the purpose there is to show the bloodline of the promise. The bloodline of that ancient promise that we talk about so often in Genesis 3.15. Where after the fall, after sin enters the world, God comes to Satan and he tells him, I'll put enmity between your offspring and her offspring, the offspring of the woman. You shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise your head. God made a promise to the world, to, to Satan, to Eve, to all humanity, that a man would come who would do battle with the devil and would conquer and that, 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 that bloodline of the promise gets picked up and it gets carried all the way to a man named Abraham. And that promise gets remade, if you will, to Abraham in, the, in this form. In you shall all the nations be blessed, Abraham. How? Through the man of promise, through the seed of promise, through the offspring of promise. And Mary, thousands of years after Abraham, Thousands of years after Adam and Eve, after ages and ages of waiting, Mary is visited by an angel. And as much as her mind can grasp, she reflects on what is happening to her. And she sees that the promise of God to save the world has landed upon her. God has remembered his mercy. God has kept his promise to deliver us from our groaning. Through Mary, God fulfilled his promise in saving the world. And the point for us is this, that we, like Mary, stand in the line of the promise. Wherever Christ has been proclaimed and believed on, there God's salvation has come. There Christ has been born in the hearts of men. There God's promised blessing of the nations to Abraham has been fulfilled. Wherever Christ is believed. And so, yes, like Mary, we stand directly in the line of the promise. And yes, like Mary, we get to fulfill that promise. We are part of God's fulfillment of his promise as we make Christ known in the world to our children, to our 
family, our ones, our neighbors. So what principles have we learned from Mary's praise? We've learned this, that through godly women, God wields the humble. Through godly women, God exalts the lowly. And through godly women, God fulfills his promises. As I close, I want to share this story about um, a woman, um, an ordinary woman. Her name was Ruth Piper. Ruth Piper was born Ruth Eulalia Moon or Moon. I'm not sure how to say it. She was born on October 7, 1918, in Wyomissing Hills, Pennsylvania. She, uh, when she was uh, in her young teens, she had recently made a serious profession of faith and was actively pursuing God in personal and group Bible study in high school. She met a young man named Bill Piper, and they quickly fell in love. Bill had been born three months and a day after Ruth into a devout working-class family in nearby Bethlehem. He made a legitimate profession of faith when he was six years old. Later, when he was 15, he experienced a profound spiritual stirring, which led him to preach the gospel for the first time. And it was during this simple sermon when ten people made professions of faith uh, in Christ, and he felt the first thrill of leading other people to Christ and in the way of eternal life. And he determined at that time to give himself to the ministry of evangelism. Bill and Ruth Piper are the, parent, or the parents of John Piper, one of the uh, most influential theologians of our uh, generation and who's been a great uh, benefit uh, to the church. Through John, through, through John Piper's childhood, his father traveled extensively uh, and was away from home two-thirds of the time, or just over 250 days per year. To put that in perspective, by the time John was 18, his father had been home for six years and away for 12. Uh, most of his trips lasted 10 days, but they were occasionally longer. Ruth fully supported Bill in his ministry, even though it left her carrying a double burden for the majority of the time. While Bill was away, Ruth ran the home. Yet, as soon as he returned, she ceded leadership to her husband, uh, and then he would lead the family prayers, and he would round the family up to church, and he would initiate discipline. And so this set an early example of complementarity between husband and wife that resonated with John Piper. He would later say, it never occurred to me that leadership and submission had anything to do with superiority and inferiority. And it didn't have to do with muscles or skills. It was not a matter of capabilities and competencies. John's mother, Ruth, was no scholar or theologian. Her faith was deep but simple. Her children have no memory of her reading any book but the Bible and no recollection of her quoting any verses except from the Proverbs. John speculated uh, that, it, that the incredible burden that she bore while parenting alone may have driven her to mind Proverbs for every last drop of wisdom that she could apply to her life and that of her children. In 1974, Ruth and Bill Piper went on a trip to Israel. On the next to the last day of their trip, they were on the bus, and um, they, were, they, they were reflecting on uh, the, the, the site that they had just visited, and their hearts were stirred. And Bill, John Piper's father, actually stood up to turn to, to, 
to speak to the, to the rest of the people on the bus. And as he stood up to speak to the rest of the people on the bus, a, 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 a truck carrying lumber came by and had to swerve to miss their bus. But when the, the, the truck swerved, some of the board, the lumber boards came loose and went flying into the bus. hitting Bill and Ruth. Bill was critically injured, but Ruth was immediately killed. Shortly after Ruth died, John found one of Ruth's folders labeled Unfinished Business. He opened it to find it empty. And took it as a symbol of her life. Quote, mother, while she lived here, was a finisher of tasks. She left no business behind that was left unfinished because of sloth or mismanagement. What she left undone, God chose to leave undone, not mother. It's people like Mary. It's people like Ruth Piper who sit on thrones in the kingdom of God. It is people who have taken the Father's business that he's given and made it our business. And we have, as it were, that that business that our Father has given to us. And And it is those who just simply strive every day to wake up and to not leave the Father's business unfinished. It is they that sit on thrones in the kingdom of God. Is the business that the Father has given to us, to you as a wife, as a mother, to you as a husband, as a father, if if God called us home today, would there be any unfinished business because of a sin on our part? Or would it be finished for our king? What can we learn from Mary? We can learn this. God uses people of humble estate. God uses the mundane, the day in and day out taking care of God's business. He used Mary as an ordinary mother to bring in the salvation of the world. And we follow in her footsteps in the the bloodline of the promise as we live for our King. As we close this morning, I just extend a a simple invitation. Mary's, the salvation that Mary sang in her praise can become yours too. She, as a virgin, gave birth to the Son of God who lived a life without sin because we couldn't and wouldn't, even though we owed it to God. He did it for us. He died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins that our sins deserve so that we wouldn't have to. And he rose from the dead showing once and for all that in him sin is forgiven and the penalty for sin which is death has been removed so that everyone who believes in him, who trusts in him, who denies themselves and follows him will be forgiven of their sins. Born again and brought into the family of God. And if you don't know that hope, and if you don't know that joy, 
that exceeding gladness that can only be found in Christ. You can know it today by bowing your heart to Jesus Christ, asking for his forgiveness and mercy and surrendering to him. If that's a decision that you want to make or you want to talk about more, please don't hesitate. Please message our church. You can contact us through our Facebook page, through my personal Facebook page, through our church website. I'd love to talk to you about it. Let's pray together.